we have a lot of people that are big believers in uh, electric vehicles and the trend towards that that clean, uh, you know, or renewable energy. And you can actually invest specifically in baskets of those types of themes. And it's sometimes through a mutual fund, sometimes through a SIG fund or an ETF, exchange traded fund. And really, you're looking at playing that general theme. And so you're going to get a diversified basket of, if we use EV as that example, maybe it's the Teslas of the world, but it's also going to include some of the chip technology in there as well. And so you get, you know, a a well-rounded investment towards the growth of that theme. Welcome to the Picture of Wealth, or TPOW as we call it. I am your host, Dustin Service. I'm excited to have Kristen on the podcast today. Now, this is uh, is extremely exciting for me, nerding out uh, in the wealth management space. Kristen uh, Ramlal is also in the business with over 20 years of experience, helping advisors with various things that we're going to talk about wealth management. And again, she has been uh, a major contributor to the uh, Canada Life Women in Leadership Employee Resource Group and is the chair of the Society of Real Wealth Managers, which again, we're going to be talking... Uh, what do the big boys do when they do investing? We're going to be talking about what is real wealth management and, uh, and what is the designation and what things could we help listener when you're meeting your own financial professional. So thanks a lot for coming on the show today, Kristen. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Well, let's, uh, let's dive into this is again, we're going to do kind of a rapid uh, pod today where it's, let's get right to the meat. I know that you're busy and uh, listener, you're also busy. So in the world of investing, there's lots of stuff people can research. It's overwhelming at times, but really there is, there is a, 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 a game, not a game being played, but in, in the investment world, there's big players, we'll call it. And so you work, you know, with Canada Life and, and various other, you know, funds, but what do big investment firms look for when trying to get growth out of their investments? Big question out of the start, but uh, I know you can handle it. Thank you for that. Well, I'm a big believer in you can't worry about what you can't control and you can only focus and worry about what you can control. And when it comes to markets and knowing where is going to be the best winner, I mean, it's it's a shot in the dark for anybody, even, you know, the most astute investors. And so that's where I believe diversification is key. And we talk about diversification, we talk about diversification across portfolio managers asset classes, geographic locations, market capitalization, and even investment management styles like value, growth, or blend. And so I think it's key first and foremost that large investors and even small investors are very um, aware of diversification and the benefits of that across the portfolio. Um, One of the other more up-and-coming items and what we're seeing a lot with our institutional investors and actually even large-scale retail investors because of what's become more available out there as far, far, far as product solutions is now adding an allocation to a newer asset class, as they call alternative investments. And so it's, it's really interesting. Public pension plans on average have about 30% of their assets in alternatives and family wealth offices are also using a lot more of these alternatives um, we've seen on average maybe about 15% of portfolios in private equity, 10% in real estate, and about a 5% weighting on average in hedge funds. So once again, real estate, um, hedge funds, private equity, private debt, 
Um, and just real property like energy, agriculture, timber, metal materials. These are now becoming um, another asset class that a lot of investors, large and small, are wanting to get access to for growth. Um, awesome. And the last one. Yeah. Okay. No, fill wow. it in. Fill it in. Fill me in. You got another one. Yeah, I would say the last one is just there. We're finding a lot more people wanting to be more um, invested uh, according to their values and what they believe in and, you know, pulling on that that heartstring, the uh, the EQ. And so we're seeing a lot more socially responsible investing and investment management strategies with ESG tilts. And so um, historically, a lot of people thought that uh, those types of mandates may have out, uh, not outperformed, sorry, underperformed the general markets. Um, but because of the higher utilization of these solutions and the demand for these, you're having so many more options out there in this space. And so that is another area where we're seeing a lot of institutional investors tilt their portfolios towards. You talk about uh, diversification again. I'm going to make you back up a bit because, you, you know, when I think of diversification or, you know, when listener, if you're thinking about, well, I thought diversification was like, don't buy the same stocks uh, or buy some stocks and some bonds. You rattled off uh, a few terms uh, yeah. like, you know, geographical or asset allocation, like help us understand, you know, what it, what is that and, and why should we care about not just buying a couple different stocks. No, that's that's a great point. Um, essentially, when you're aiming to achieve diversification of portfolio, you're trying to find other investments that may act differently or perform differently in certain market conditions. So you're looking for uncorrelated potential asset classes. And so the traditional... What does uncorrelated mean? They don't trend to uh, in the same direction at the same time. Thank you. Yeah. So, so traditional asset classes would be like your cash, fixed income and equities. And of course, fixed income can be broken down into, you know, corporate bonds, municipal government issued bonds in emerging market bonds or international bonds. And then you go into equities. Well, equities can be broken down into various different uh, sub-segments like Canadian equities, U.S. equities, international, global, emerging markets, EFI, you know, the list goes on. And then you take a look at now, you add alternative investments in there, and you add different types of portfolio management styles. So you can have a manager that's fully passive, which really their intent is to just mimic the market, follow it, a, an index that's already been um, put out there as a benchmark. Or you get an active portfolio manager that may be making calls with their intent to beat the benchmark. And maybe it's an active portfolio management team, or maybe it's quant-based, meaning they have certain quant um, measures that they're using to be able to uh, narrow down the subsets of investments that they're utilizing within their portfolio. Um, you also can get portfolio managers that have a value tilt. They're going out there looking for value-based investments, uh, buying them at a discount. So I'll use an example. You know, energy had its crisis over the past, you know, five to let's say 10 years and it has now definitely rebounded. But you go back and energy within the past couple of years was considered a value investment. Or you go to the other side of the spectrum, which is growth. And that's where you're seeing a lot of those tech names. And they're very growth orientated and um, some portfolio managers strictly focus on growth orientated names versus a blend manager will put the two together. So that's just, uh, you know, probably scratching the surface. But as you can see, so many ways you can diversify your portfolio. 
Well, I think it's, uh, it's, it is important. And, uh, you know, one of the things you talked about was alternative investing. And one of the things that that's extremely important to us is value-based decisions and how to, you know, invest or focus on things that you value, like truly value. And (laughs) I do have a big question because, you know, if, if somebody, you know, during, you know, pandemic times really valued, you know, not being centralized banking and they loved crypto and thought that was going to be, you know, that's to their values and got on the wrong side of that trade, they lost a lot of money. So is there a connection or is there a way for people to, again, ESG, it's a big thing right now. It's, you know, everyone wants to be part of that or lots of people do. So uh, is that, you know, at the end of the day, people are investing to make money. And is there a connection or is there some help you could give us on how to wade through things that are new alternative fit with their values but then you know you could buy you know some other fund that's been proven over and over all the time to make money versus you know do you you see clients making that decision of like oh i don't mind making less money but i'm going to be invested with my values you see where i'm going with that yeah, so it's it's quite quite the loaded question. So thank you for that. <laughs> um, I think really what it boils down to is once again, people need to be aware that there's a bucket for it all, and the rate allocation is probably what's most important. And what we'd suggest is no more than usually five to ten percent of one's total investable assets to be um, allocated to these maybe special situations or value based investing decisions or thematic tilts, as we may call it. Um, And then that way, once again, diversification is key because if you go all into crypto, yeah, you probably wouldn't be pretty happy today, although we're starting to see a rebound off the bottom. But if you only had a 5 to 10% allocation, the majority of your portfolio, the other 90, 95% would have still been trending with the general markets. So, um, uh, you know, I think it's very important that people um, are aware that it's okay to have that desire to follow your heart, follow your values, but having a a reasonable allocation to anything and whether it's ESG, whether it's crypto, whether it's, uh, you know, well-known stock like a Berkshire Hathaway, um, you know, you still need to be aware of the importance of having a proper position size. And once again, that rule of thumb. No more than five to ten percent in one individual thematic tilt or individual stock position um, is usually a really good rule of thumb to to work with. What's a thematic tilt? Yeah, no, that's another great question. So, for example, um, we have a lot of people that are big believers in uh, electric vehicles and the trend towards that that clean, uh, you know, or renewable energy. And you can actually invest specifically in baskets of those types of themes. And it's sometimes through a mutual fund, sometimes through a SIG fund or an ETF, exchange-traded fund. And really, you're looking at playing that general theme. And so you're going to get a diversified basket of, if we use EV as that example, maybe it's the Teslas of the world, but it's also going to include some of the chip technology in there as well. Um, And so you get um, a a well-rounded investment towards the growth of that theme. Awesome. And just a, a caveat, this is uh, any of the stocks we talk about are not buy or sell recommendations, uh, seek financial help. Uh, along the same lines of, you know, decision-making, I think is a huge thing in the world we live in today where decision, you know, making decisions daily has maybe become a little tougher 
after sort of coming through some interesting times and we all have, have gotten quite good at Googling things and we've maybe lost some of that, that old intuition on how to make decisions. So if we can, uh, you know, make habits, make new sort of process in our life to make decision-making easier, then that makes our, our life what I would call more wealthy. So my question right now would be, do you have any ideas or things or comments on what individual investor you know, could use in their investing habits to make better decisions, like any hacks or processes that you see being successful in your client block? Yeah, no, I, I would say I really do think it's important that you understand the value of advice. Um, and all of this that we see in the media, the headlines, through social media, a lot of it can be noise. Once again, you can't worry about all of these pieces of noise. It can definitely bog you down. And as a financial professional, I'm sure you can agree that um, there's ample amount of information out there and nobody's ever going to be 100% right 100% of the time. And so by seeking advice, you're able to help weed through the noise and through diversification and establishing a properly diverse a portfolio across multiple asset classes, you don't have to worry about all of that. And you can actually sleep well at night. Um, I am a big believer as well in what's called the bucket planning concept, where if you have a short term um, cash outflow from your portfolio um, or you're projecting out your retirement income needs, well, you should definitely make sure that there's usually, um, you know, maybe uh, upwards of three to five years worth of your future cash flow needs set aside in a short-term bucket. And that's not going to be invested in equities. And it's probably going to not make you a heck of a lot of money, except for nowadays, you know, you can get a pretty decent rate with a high interest savings account or a GIC. But the concept is you don't risk that money that you're going to need to live that lifestyle that you want to pursue in that next three to five years. And then you look at the next five to, let's call it seven, eight, to 10 years. Well, that's your medium term bucket. And that's one where you can probably take on a little bit more growth. If you're in retirement, maybe you want growth of income and you set that aside and you can let that fluctuate and not worry that you will not be able to live your retirement dreams because we're going to be tapping into that bucket five to seven years down the road. And then, of course, you've got your longest term bucket and that's going to be maybe your estate plan, what you're leaving behind for gifting strategies, for philanthropy, uh, for your heirs, or maybe just what you don't need in 10 to 15 plus years. Well, that's where you can decide whether you're willing to risk it or not in the equity market. And of course, there's other tools out there like insurance that can be utilized. Um, so uh, I do believe that having an advisor that can help coach you and walk you through these types of um, strategies will give you the peace of mind that you won't have to worry about what's going on in the markets and all the notes. Great segue. So this is a big, you know, big hiring a financial professional is a big deal. Uh, it can be stressful for some people. It can be, uh, you know, it could be, you know, your advisor retires. It could be they pass away. It could be you've just come into money. So listener, if you've inherited money, sold the property, sold the business, and now all of a sudden you've got money. Or the situation we see a lot is, hey, um, I've got this client, usually it's an accountant or a lawyer introducing us to somebody. They've got a holding company that they've just been building up money for years and saying, well, I'll do something with it. I'll do something with it. And now it's three, four, five, a million, two of cash. So that can be very daunting, the decision to hire an advisor. You are, are you know, connected to something called the real uh, wealth manager or real, real wealth. You'd say it for me. <laughs> 
the Society of Real Wealth Managers. Thank you. So this is a designation that sets apart uh, real wealth managers. And I, I think that's a very cool term. So help listener, if they're interviewing an advisor or if they're going in for a review meeting with their existing advisor, what are a couple questions, your top three questions that could help listener have a more constructive meeting with their existing advisor or make it easier for them to interview multiple advisors when they're trying to hire one? Yeah, well, the key with the real wealth manager and what's what differentiates them is that they've gone through a program exclusively authored through the Knowledge Bureau to be able to help work collaboratively and lead a team of financial professionals under one unique financial plan. And that's what's key is because sometimes we've seen where you may have an accountant, a lawyer, a portfolio manager, financial professional, all as part of your team working for you, but they're not talking and they're not driving one plan. They're all driving their own unique siloed plans. And so to answer your question there, I would say the best questions to be positioning your advisor when you're meeting with them is A, are they willing to work collaboratively with your existing financial professionals? B, are they willing to refer you to other collaborative financial professionals? And are you willing to help lead one financial plan for me? Because that's what's what we're seeing is a big major difference out there over time is you may have seen certain financial professionals being maybe more traditionally transactional. You know, you come to me for a will, you come to me for that insurance policy, but you need to have a financial professional that's driving that plan today and in the future for you and making sure that all of those key financial decision makers are involved in the decision making for you because that's how you're going to get true real wealth after taxes, fees and inflation, and having a, a more sustainable and efficient intergenerational wealth transfer to the next generation as well. That's what we define as real wealth. It's, it's being mindful of all of these other influences that come into play and knowing that your money is important not only today, but also for future generations to come after that biggest tax that, or biggest expense we'll ever have, which is tax. Because tax does um, does eat away and erode, as we call it, our wealth over time. So uh, those are the key questions to ask. Do you have a story where, uh, and again, you would be sitting in your position, you know, you are going in assisting advisors, meeting their clients. Do you have a story where an advisor and yourself, maybe, you know, you presented a plan to them, the, the client liked it, they took it to a different advisor on their team or, you know, accountant, lawyer trusted friend, and the other person didn't like it. And then you were able to collaborate and get it across the finish line for the good of the client. Do you have a story? And, and more specifically, what was it that that other third party needed to see, hear, uh, understand to make it to them feel like a plan? It made sense. Yeah, well, I've, I've got ample stories for you, but I think the one that's going to hit home, especially kind of pulling it back to investment management, is uh, we were working with a pretty high net worth or ultra high net worth uh, professional, had been entrenched in his business every day, all day, and really didn't have the time uh, needed to oversee his investments. And when we looked at the portfolio and the way that it was managed, this was a pretty wealthy individual that should have been mindful and aware of the potential of U.S. sustained taxes, given his net worth and other U.S. side as property ownership. 
And when we look at his portfolio, he was holding individual U.S. stocks, as an example, in an open, non-registered environment. Well, that actually also magnified his potential for U.S. estate taxes, when we know very well that you can have U.S exposure, U.S. stock exposure through a Canadian solution to avoid that problem entirely. And so this is um, a situation where the other financial professional didn't do the due diligence, didn't engage with the tax professional, didn't engage with the estate planning professional, didn't even ask the client what was, you know, what was their desires to have U.S. stock ownership versus not? And was that a driving factor in how the portfolio was positioned? But because we came in and we were able to ask the right questions and identify truly what was important to this client, we were able to bring in all of those financial stakeholders to give us um, a well-rounded um, you know, plan for the client to say, hey, we can still get you this exposure, but we can do it differently and we can avoid potentially tens to hundreds thousands of dollars in U.S. estate taxes down the road, which would have been an issue for your heirs. Needless to say, we won the case. Yeah, right. That's uh, that was that's perfect, and I, I think that there's there is some you know that's for a whole another podcast. Uh, U.S. estate tax, uh, some of the numbers have changed. So thanks, uh, thanks, Kristen, for for giving us that insight. Is there anything that you're most excited about in in working right now with advisors that they're you know are are having breakthroughs with you know for listener or for, for their clients? Is there any major things or any parting notes that you want to uh, share that you're most excited about? I'm definitely most excited about this advisor of the future concept, real wealth manager and real wealth management. Um, it's long overdue and we have ample cases of where it works and why it works. And so although it is still a new and upcoming um, you know, segment of the advisor population, there are a lot of advisors and financial professionals out there that are doing this. But how do you find them? And that's why there's this real wealth management designation that's been launched. So it becomes a little bit easier for you to find these professionals that are willing to work collaboratively and lead your financial plan for wealth sustainability. So I'm excited to see where this goes over the next couple of years. And I'm happy to engage in further conversation on this when the time's right. Awesome. When Where can people find more information about uh, what you've been talking about today? Yeah, so this can all be found online. Uh, we have a website, the Society of Real Wealth Managers. We're also on LinkedIn. Um, and of course, once again, that is a program exclusively authored through the Knowledge Bureau. So if you search the Knowledge Bureau, that's for all the financial professionals who may be interested in learning more about that program and that designation. Thanks a lot, Kristen, for being on the show. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you for tuning into this episode. If you enjoyed the show, please like and rate the show, share with a friend, or use your new knowledge in your next conversation. If during the show something gave you a pang of inspiration, motivation, or sense of uncertainty, act on it now. Get the clarity you're looking for. Find the permission you seek. Go to servicewealth.com to discover how others are learning how to take Fridays off, or buying a recreation property, or spending more money. If you're an organizer of an event where you believe my philosophy on finance and lifestyle design would be applicable, Go to servicewealth.com and book me as a speaker at your next event. If you want a copy of our new book coming out soon, send me a message on Instagram or Facebook and we will be sure to get you a first copy. 